2: You have accessed entry 315.EZ3328, certificate number 11458, The Darien Gap.
1: Have you ever considered the possibility of driving from the very north of Alaska to the very south of South America? I have considered that before. I have considered it too many times. It seems like... One of the high adventures of uh, human life in our in our era. It seems like a Che Guevara thing to do. It really does. And in fact, he did some large part of it, at least in the southern half. But uh, our future listeners probably aren't going to be conscious of this fact because in their time, because of the rising seas, North Amer the North American continent and the South American continent will probably be separated by a wide channel of water, probably the Panamanian Channel.
2: Plate tectonics has probably moved Panama up so it collides with. Cuba.
1: Sure, sure. There's, the world won't resemble anything like it does today. But as it is now, there's a long isthmus that we call Central America, which connects the larger continents of North and South. And there is a road that starts all the way in the very far north of Alaska called Prud- the Prudhoe Bay, which is a big oil town. And that road continues all the way through Alaska and Canada, down into the United States, across the states of Washington. Oregon and California, into Mexico, all the way across Mexico, down into Central America, across Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama, and then into South America, across the country of Colombia to Venezuela, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and ends at the very southern tip of Argentina. Except for one problem there's a brief little gap only 100 miles wide between Panama and Colombia where there is no road. And that gap is called the Darien Gap.
2: And just to put this in perspective for future listeners, this is essentially as close as you can come to driving on dry land from pole to pole. That's right. It's a 19,000-mile road, except Uh, for this one little detour.
1: That's right. And this uh, this road was... Was, uh, was built over, over many decades as part of a, like a consolidated effort on the part of all of those countries to actually build this road. It wasn't just that each of these countries built a road from north to south in their own turf, although that ended up being their responsibility. But the goal was to build a, a highway from one end of this uh, enormous pan-continent to the other. I have actually been at the
2: southernmost end of the Pan American Highway, or so the sign said. Really? How? I was on Tierra del Fuego, the little island south of Chile and Argentina. Right. It's a jumping off point for Antarctica, which is where I was headed for a week. I see. Um, But to get to Antarctica, the closest way to go is to leave from Ushuaia, which is the port town on Tierra del Fuego. And we got on the boat only to find that there had been some kind of technical malfunction and we were going to be a day late. So we had an extra day to see the wildlife sites of Tierra del Fuego, of which there are not that many. What, weren't there giant penguins at least? There are penguins, but there's plenty of penguins where we were going. Right, so right. it wasn't like, hey, uh, we're going to see penguins on snow and ice. Let's look at them on rock and grass
1: <laughs> first.
2: <laughs> but uh, there's a beautiful, much of much of uh, Tierra del Fuego is a beautiful wildlife preserve um, with some invasive species, I believe, Uh you know, beavers clogging. Oh, yeah. Be- beavers brought in for fur. They're now clogging
1: sure. lakes with fur. Those their... Tierra del Fuego beavers are pretty notorious in our era.
2: They are en fuego. Uh, and in the parking lot of this national park, it's just a, gra- a little gravel parking lot where we pulled over. There was a sign saying, This is the end of the Pan American Highway, which stretches from here. To Alaska, Or the beginning, depending on your perspective. It's true. I'm sure it did not say the end because right. the Argentines are not shy. Uh, Ushuaia is the capital of the province that would nominally contain the Falkland Islands. Okay. A disputed territory in our time between Argentina and England. Although I think that dispute was uh, was resolved. It's, a but- little, <laughs> it's still disputed in the hearts and minds of the people of Ushuaia. There are maps of the Falkland Islands everywhere with the Argentine flag hung over them. You know, there's all this uh, pride and yearning for a territory that, really, they right. will never see again and no one there has any interest in sure, and joining with. Sure, there's
1: no reason really to have it. It's just a, a couple of barren, sheep-covered islands. It's
2: just, their argument is essentially, we are much closer.
1: Right, of they, course. They,
2: and they would always say that to Americans. They'd be
1: like, w- what if... Uh, what if Cuba was its own territory? What if, oh, wait, it is. What
2: if France just said they wanted Puerto Rico or whatever, you know, like... Right. They seem to think that being geographically closest Well, implies- by that
1: argument, Staten Island should be in New Jersey.
2: And by that argument, Jamaica should be uh, American, I guess. Well, Cuba, certainly. Right.
1: But really, uh, like, for instance, I think in our era, uh, we've realized that the way we orient our maps with North America to the top uh, really causes us to have a different sense of the geography of the world. And there are uh, increasingly popularized maps with the South Pole at the top, just to give us a sense of how different the world looks if you look at it from a different perspective. And certainly if you were a a resident of southern Argentina, you wouldn't think of yourselves as the end or the tailbone of the world. The bottom of the world. Although maybe you do. Who knows? I'm, I'm not an Argentinian.
2: Australians love those maps. You're right. It's totally arbitrary. There's right. no reason why the northern hemisphere should be in the top top of a map, except that we were the ones making the map.
1: Yeah, that's right. The British probably, you know, made that determination when they also decided that time started in Greenwich. But as an Alaskan, which I am, I grew up in Alaska, and we definitely think of ourselves as being on top of the world. And the road, I think we would say, began at Prudhoe Bay. Now, I have not been to Prudhoe Bay because the whole time I was growing up, that was pretty much an off-limits area. And I think still it's very difficult to drive into Prudhoe Bay without without authorization. Now You have to be an oil,
2: a petro employee of some kind. That's right,
1: because it's a closed system up there. Now, there, there is a city called Barrow, mm-hmm. which is just, a I think, the furthest north city in the United States. And uh, it's hardly a city, but a town, the town of Barrow. And you could travel to Barrow. There are regular flights to Barrow. Have you been to Barrow? My mom has been, well, she's also been to Prudhoe Bay. She worked, uh, for the the oil companies in Alaska. I never went to Barrow. I, I missed my chance to go to Barrow. My dad was a bush pilot and he liked to fly all around Alaska. But in my teenage years, I was like, oh, so bored of my dad and his stupid airplane that he wanted to fly all over. And so he said one time, let's, you know, let's puddle jump all the way to Barrow. And I, couldn't have been less interested. You rolled your eyes audibly. I did, but now I wish I'd done it. The thing is that you cannot drive from Barrow, because Barrow isn't connected by road to the rest of the operation.
2: Barrow is north of Prudhoe Bay, right? It's the northernmost point. Yeah, but it's just not on the on the Pan American Highway.
1: Barrow is actually 200 miles further north than Dead Horse, which is the Prudhoe Bay end of the road. It's called Dead Horse? Dead Horse, yeah.
2: Well, that really probably brings in a lot of visitors.
1: So. Yeah, that gives you a sense of what it was like. And I cannot actually imagine that anyone even took a horse up there. I don't know wh- how it got that name. Well, the horse did not, in fact, survive. Right. Spoilers. <laughs> so- someone tried. But now it is possible to drive all the way up the Dalton Highway and get, I think, to the fence outside of Prudhoe Bay and stop. And there's, you know, there's a place to stay. You can't get all the way to the Arctic Ocean. But you can start there at the top of the Dalton Highway and drive all the way to southern Panama, this place called the Darien Gap.
2: Well, this is what amazes me. I mean, there's so many amazing engineering feats in order to get a 19,000 mile highway going. I mean, there's the Alaskan Tundra. Right. There's like, I think, two mile tunnels through the Andes. You got to get on a ferry to uh, get to Tierra del Fuego, you you go across the Panama Canal for crying out
1: loud. There's a bridge across the canal, I think. Yep. The road through Canada wasn't completed until World War II. So, uh, and actually of all the countries that were building, you know, their section of this highway, it was Mexico that completed her section of the highway first. Good
2: job, Mexico. Buen trabajo.
1: Yes, right. Uh, But the Darien Gap remained impassable. And it is a combination of factors, one of them being that it is truly a difficult geographical area to cross. When
3: it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit ButcherBox.com slash iHeart, or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com slash iHeart,
2: or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Well, set this up for me. Darian is... Right between Panama and Colombia, like right where the isthmus hits South America.
1: That's right. So Darien is actually the province of the southernmost province of Panama, and it's a within that area. There's the continuation of a mountain range that comes up from South America. That kind of is you know creates sort of a, a mountainous and and jungle mountain environment. But it's also a river delta, where a river known as the Turia River uh, creates a kind of giant swampy Delta that encompasses hundreds of square miles and is like a dense and humid jungle full of all manner of what we think of as Central American, like poisonous frogs and prickly trees and giant like spiders and, and scorpions and the like. Everything will kill you there. This is the location of the famous frog that if you lick it, it will kill you. Or if you touch it, like the clown frog, the like super venomous skinned frog. This
2: is not the one that gives you amazing hallucinations. This is actually fatal at one No, no, I think there lick. are
1: other frogs down there that you can lick and get high.
2: So it's like mushrooms up here where, you know, if you're very smart, you can pick just the ones that give you... a a nice dream instead of killing you immediately.
1: Right. Although I think the people that find the hallucinogenic mushrooms aren't always defined by how smart they are. (laughs) I I think they just learn how to tell the good mushrooms from the bad.
2: But uh, it's there, it's frogs. You have to, you have to specifically know.
1: You don't go down there and just lick lick a frog. You don't just lick every frog. No, you have to talk to somebody and say like, which frogs are the licky frogs?
2: So I have only heard of Darien, and in fact, the mountains there in one Place. Did you know there's a uh, super famous poem in the English language about mm-hmm. Darien, said in Darien? Tell me more. Uh, one I think John Keats's most anthologized sonnet is called something like On First Looking into Chapman's Homer. Hmm. And it's it commemorates the time that he and a buddy stayed up late reading this free verse translation of Homer into English. And I guess just loving it. Maybe they'd licked a frog or something. Uh,
1: sure. Because,
2: you know, the Trojan War just came alive for them. Look,
1: the first time you read Homer, I think everybody has that experience. you are just like,
2: wow. Everybody stays up late with a bro, oh, just the, marveling over the... the
1: wine-dark sea. Say it again. Say it again.
2: Rosy-fingered <laughs> dawn. So anyway, because there was no TV or sports or any good entertainment, these guys were just freaking out about Chapman's Homer. Right. And when his friend wakes up the next morning... Keats has left on the breakfast table, a sonnet he has composed about the, what amazing mind blowing experience it is to read Homer for the first time. And he compares it to discovery. He compares it to uh, the astronomers who had just discovered Uranus, which I mm-hmm. guess was kind of a new thing at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: It's that funny. It was, was a big thing at the time.
2: Uh, it's funny. It's like a topical reference. You know, we think of these things as very old timey, but he, like he's like South Park, like yeah. just like that new planet <laughs> they just found. And then at the end he compares it to uh Stout Cortez climbing a hill in Darien and seeing the other ocean and realizing that's the
1: Pacific, and his mind explodes. Wow, can you imagine the moment? And then he turns around and just starts slaughtering everyone.
2: Yeah, you come from the Atlantic, you climb the mountain, there's the Pacific too, yeah. and to celebrate, you just kill a bunch of Indians. Yeah, and
1: steal all their gold. But
2: here's the problem. Cortez was nowhere near Panama. No, of course not. He'd screwed
1: it up. But, you know, that's the thing. It's artistic license.
2: His, and it, So I guess Keats had just read this book about the conquistadors and had mixed up two memorable stories, one about Cortez and one about the actual guy that climbed the hill in Darien, Vasco Nunez de Balboa.
1: Aha, it was Balboa. Balboa.
2: And I think to this day, maybe the currency of Panama is named for Balboa. Is that true that you, you spend Balboas there?
1: That's interesting. I do not know the quest. I do not know the answer. I've never been to Panama. I haven't either. Are not- they called Balboas or is that just like a slang term?
2: Hey, give me some bulbs. You mean like uh, like we would say... Uh, Benjamins. Like simoleons?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that thing we're always saying. <laughs> simoleons. Listen, future listeners, we had a lot of slang terms for our money and so did other people on our planet at the time.
2: I don't even... Until recently, I didn't know the American currency was not called the smackaroo.
1: Is that something that you referred to in your own family? Like, Dad, can I have 15 smackaroos? You don't say that? We do not say smackaroos. 50 smackaroos. No, not in Alaska.
2: Futurelings do not believe John. It's uh, ubiquitous in our time to call money smackaroos. No, we
1: said doubloons. Ah, doubloons. Yeah. Dad, 15 doubloons. Uh, Actually, in Darien, it's very much like what we think of as up the Amazon River in that there are indigenous groups of people living in this like uncharted territory. And many of them are kind of, I mean, they're not like completely without contact, but they do live very traditional indigenous lives, their villages and so forth that are still mostly a subsistence economy and have, uh, have retained some of their, you know, their cultures intact.
2: And is that why the road uh, doesn't go through? Are they are they out there laying in front of bulldozers and signing NIMBY petitions?
1: No, in fact, I don't think so. Los I, Los NIMBY tribe. Although although as the road was improved, so the last town in uh, in Panama is called Yaviza. And what do you do when you
2: get to Yaviza in your rental?
1: Well, you turn around or you go. You, there's also a gate there that says this is a different beginning of this highway, but also end of this highway. And it says, welcome to Darien. And it is the Yaviza is the gateway to the, the Darien province. But, um, as they improved the road down into that area, kind of always, there's always been a movement or an anticipation that that road would go through, but there's never quite been the political will on either side to actually like undergo the like pretty difficult and expensive task of pushing it all the way across. But they did improve the road as far as Yaviza. And with each new step of paving it and widening it, it just brought more and more problems to Yaviza, which had formerly Ah. been kind of a, you know, a small little border town and has become now a big border town with big problems.
2: What are the big problems that the highway brought?
1: The other reason besides how difficult and impassable the landscape is, is that everyone recognizes if this road is pushed through, it immediately opens up the problem of free passage between South America and Central America and North America.
2: Think of all the Eskimos you're suddenly going to get
1: well, all over Colombia. Sure, it's going to, uh, it's sort of like all those spots uh, in our contemporary time on the California border where there are those apple maggot quarantine <laughs> area stops. Do you or, have any fruit? Or they make you drive through a border crossing just to ask you if you have any any apples. If and you're if, going to Disneyland, you better not have a banana. That's right. You do no good nicks. And they make you throw it, they make you throw it in their in their hopper if you have the wrong kind of fruit. And I think opening this this passage would bring all kinds of sort of I guess what we would call invasive species both directions, but also it would be a major major drug highway. Ah. Um which it Already is, even in spite of there not being a road. Is the Darien Gap just full of uh narco uh, smugglers? It is full of narco smugglers, and in fact, full of all kinds of like off the grid style South Americans and also FARC, the sort of oh. like major terrorist revolutionary uh, rebel group of Colombia. And so, FARC has made it like a readout for their nefarious activities. And so if you are trying to cross Darien as a sort of like adventurer.
2: As a tourist going from Alaska to Argentina. Right, like here
1: I am, I'm gonna swim. Suddenly it's not a college lark anymore. It's a little bit tricky in there because there are so many different groups with so many different agendas. Like the Panamanians have a border police force, like an army group that's just about defending this border. And they're called a uh, Cinefront, which is like a paramilitary organization. Senafront. Senafront, And they're down there just swamping around, trying to keep the drug flow out. Although, as we know, Panama has a kind of two-sided relationship to drug trafficking from Colombia or traditionally did. Yeah, I assume most of it's coming north, right? So There's not a ton of cocaine importation into Colombia from Panama as far as I know.
2: Colombia doesn't have any <laughs> that doesn't have a shortage right now.
1: No, I mean they may be trying to import Xanax. Yeah,
2: maybe you're smuggling something south.
1: I am not sure. I'm not sure what you would be smuggling south. I think it's largely a northbound Maybe em, maybe economy. empty barrels of cocaine. Empty barrels. You got to get those back. Those are tough. And if you, they get, uh, if there's any interdiction of your empty barrel uh, smuggling, you're going to be in big, big trouble, Mr. But I think it's also for people who are trying to enter the United States illegally, it's much easier to get from, say, your, your country elsewhere uh, into South America. And then from there begin that long, arduous process of getting into the United States overland. And so there is some human trafficking that happens.
2: Even across the Darien Gap, yeah. where you're still just thousands of miles from your eventual destination.
1: Yeah, it's testament to how difficult it is to get, or how, how desperately some people do want to make it to America. That they're willing to start in Guyana and make their way... All the way across this awful swamp.
2: Like the, yeah, the getting the coyote to take you across the last border is, you know, the least of your worries. Right. You've got so many more worse jungles before then.
1: Uh, and, you know, jungles of all kinds, right? Like intellect, right. uh, like emotional jungles that you have to navigate.
2: Think about the metaphorical jungles. But uh, there's actually these physical jungles they need to get across as well, right? I mean, so can you do it? Are there guides?
0: start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start so
1: normally what happens if you're really trying to go on this adventure and make it across the darien gap you get to uh, your and you take a ferry basically. And I don't think in the in the grand scheme of like world adventurers that there's any shame in taking this ferry. And in fact, the current like conventional wisdom of North-South adventure drivers is that the Northern provinces of Mexico are so torn asunder by narco wars mm-hmm. that really the suggested route is to drive down Baja, uh, drive all the way down the Baja Peninsula and then take a ferry across to safer climbs. And bypass Mexico, or or does
2: the ferry take you all the way down to South America? No,
1: the ferry then from South Baja would take you directly across into central Mexico, but bypassing the northern... Yeah, the parts of Mexico where you're more likely as a Winnebago driver to encounter trouble. Where Winnebago drivers are getting kidnapped every day. So from Yaviza, you would take this ferry over to the... Hilariously named Turbo Columbia.
2: Turbo is the name of the uh, Turbo is the name of the town. border town.
1: And it was called Turbo even in the 19th century, so it's not named after the Lamborghini or Porsche Turbo. It's a name signifying a different thing.
2: Does uh does is the ferry a car ferry? Like if you can your your vehicle comes with you, so you can feel like you're still making the drive.
1: Yeah, let's say you're driving. Blocked. For instance, in a four wheel drive VW Vanagon. Westphalia which i'm <laughs> which I'm thinking is probably the truck of choice That's for a right of choice. for a lot of the the type of people that want to take this trip um you would t- you put it on the car ferry and then you'd end up in Colombia and then begin your adventure anew uh, and this is um, this is a, a problem you encounter in a lot of world travel if you want to drive around the world for instance you have to end up taking some ferries and so there's no shame in it but there have been attempts to drive across the Darien Gap. Even though it's a quicksand-filled swamp? It's a, it's a thing where Land Rover uh, sponsored a, a trip one time to prove the hardiness of their Land Rover. Uh-huh. And what it involved was basically people with machetes chopping through the jungle and then these Land Rovers, this little convoy of Land Rovers, essentially winching their way <laughs> through the Darien Gap. Like, the, you know, they would drive 100 feet and then... So it doesn't, it
2: doesn't have to be a Land Rover. I mean, you could have been on a, a, a metal plate as long as you had a winch.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would probably have been a better idea to do it in a Caterpillar tractor. Right. Or, I mean, you could probably do it in an amphibious tank of some sort. And then, you know, you get to some rivers, you get, you get down there to the Turia the, River, you've got to build a raft <laughs> and put your Land Rover on the raft and get across that river anyway. So, uh, But it was accomplished as a proof of concept. And I think there have been innumerable designs of an elevated highway, a giant bridge, a series of uh, roads chopped through the forest. It's just that no one quite wants to actually do it. I assume there'd be environmental harm,
2: too, if this is is virgin rainforest with valuable hardwoods and whatnot. Like probably for ecological reasons, the last thing you want to do is build a giant highway through there and give everybody access.
1: Well, and I think that on the Colombian side, especially more and more ranchers are intruding into the area and chopping down the forests. I mean, it's, it is not an unendangered region. And again, our future listeners are going to be thinking of this as 200 feet below the sea.
2: They've never seen trees before. They have no idea what we're talking about. They've
1: only seen trees underwater because they are sentient fish. And they're looking at the tree stumps and thinking, hmm. What are these? What were these weird things? These don't look like seaweed.
2: Uh, I think there is wood smuggling that goes on from the Panamanian side as well. You know, some of these heart rosewood and some of these other woods are just so valuable. It's thousands of dollars for a quarter Guitar makers love it. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's what rosewood is used for, right? That's
1: right. They make guitars out of them.
2: I see. You're part of the problem. You you thought rock music was going to save the world, but look at this.
1: I only buy vintage guitars, which are made out of rosewood that was harvested many, 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 many moons ago. Back when you could find rosewood in Central Park.
2: People always say they're buying vintage, but doesn't that just mean... uh, you know, somebody else who wants a vintage one can't get that one, so
1: they have to go buy a new one? Come yeah, on. oh, sure. It's somebody else's problem, but, you You're know. are just I, kicking the can. It's like all the people that tear down vintage houses and then build a new eco-friendly house. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, you just tore down, like, a house that was made out of old-growth wood to build this garbage house. You know it was eco-friendly? Stables.
2: Not building a house <laughs> there. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's why I drive a 1979 Suburban, because it's much more costly to the environment to buy a Prius, which was recently manufactured.
2: I want to see you drive it all the way to Argentina, though. It, bothers me on like an OCD level. It's maddening to me that we are a hundred miles away from having this complete highway.
1: Well, it does me too. And I'm very surprised in all of the many generations of Army Corps of Engineers ding And I mean, that's a universal sentiment that it's frustrating to be able to get to where you could almost see it and yet not have this road completed. And, and so I think it's an amazing testament to either... Our limitations still as human beings in conquering the globe or in somehow this restraint that we're showing collectively in failing, like spectacularly failing to put the final keystone in this puzzle. We dug the Panama Canal, which was a much harder thing to do. Just a few miles away. To get across the, the other way by by boat.
2: Where's our imperialist quasi-military influence in getting a, you know, a little turnpike built through the swamp?
1: Well, we don't have a Teddy Roosevelt like we, like we wanted. Darien Gap needs its own Teddy Roosevelt. We missed our chance when we
2: were paying off Noriega. That would mm-hmm. have been our time, mm-hmm. you know. Just give that guy a briefcase full of coke and he'll let us build our little highway.
1: Well, I'm surprised the Medellin cartel hasn't just done it on their own.
2: It's true. Like, they was sure benefit.
1: But, you know, I, one of the major imports or exports of that region are bananas and the local residents. So there are three groups of, like, indigenous people in the region. There are the Embera, there are the Wunan, and there are the Kuna. And so it gives you a sense of how rugged and inaccessible this area is that this relatively small little park region would be able to contain three separate cultures, three separate groups of people who probably
2: don't even see each other that much.
1: Right. I mean, the, they're it's on a, the
2: other side of the mountains or the river. Or, this
1: crazy combination of mountains, swamp, rainforest—it's a like a very unusually diverse condensed region. And and because of its equatorial nature, not actually equatorial, but it is tropical. Sure. The yearly highs and the yearly lows in temperature are all within a few degrees of each other like yearly high in the height of their summer 84 degrees yearly low 80 degrees <laughs> um so it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting climate i don't i th- i i i was doing some research and discovered that the high the record high was 91 degrees oh it doesn't even get hot hot no, no. it's just like But I think it probably has 280% humidity at all times. So still, like...
2: I'm sure it feels like it's 191 degrees. Yeah,
1: the the combination of fire ants, poisonous frogs, spiky trees, black scorpions, humidity, and constant flooding wetness is going to make it uncomfortable enough without it also being 140.
2: But the very things you name are the kind of things that are going to attract a certain kind of alpha great white
1: hunter explorer type who's just got to see it you know and i think there are plenty of those and and what makes it dangerous for me is that i really border on that type of personality and i i struggle against it all the time but i've said for a long time that as my daughter reaches um, that age right before she becomes a difficult teen Uh and you know her later sort of childhood years that i want to go down to uh, Southern California, buy a Jeep out of the classified ads, spend no more than $2,500 on this Jeep. And then the two of us will drive to the Tierra del Fuego. All the way. That's my goal. Uh, I'm sure she will have a different plan for herself when she's in fifth or sixth grade, but I feel like better than going to seventh grade, wouldn't that be a good education for for a young lady in the world, like to venture off and, My
2: middle school was almost entirely scorpion-free, so. Well, sure. Except for the band. Sure. Except for Winds of
1: Change. you know what? (laughs) My middle school was also full of the scorpions, the band. My middle school had plenty of scorpions t-shirts. Scorpions all the way through, all the way through high school. It wasn't until probably my junior year in high school, or junior year in college, where we started to feel like the scorpions had jumped the shark. But no frogs you could lick. No, and I bet you on that ferry, you could also literally jump a shark.
2: (laughs) And that concludes The Darien Gap Episode 315.EZ3328 Certificate 1148 In the Omnibus Now in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era of hyper-intelligent fish living in sentient coral reefs our tweets are archived at omnibusproject. Our handles back in your distant past were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick John also maintained an Instagram account briefly for reasons of his own under the same name our address for email, which was our digital way of communication because we did not have fish telepathy or astral projection yet, was the theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com.
1: Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. It may have been the rising seas. It may have been a series of electromagnetic pulses. It may have been just confusion caused us all to walk into the ocean ourselves independently, one after another. But uh, we hope and pray that this catastrophe, however it manifests, may never come. However, we're actually not that hopeful. And when the worst comes, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows us to survive, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.